White Sox Weekly, the official weekly talk show covering all things White Sox baseball. Get the fireworks ready. White Sox Weekly on WLS AM 890. So welcome in to White Sox Weekly. Happy Saturday afternoon to you. It is a lovely, lovely afternoon out in downtown Chicago and down around Guaranteed Rate. Good day for baseball and a good day as any for the White Sox to kick a six-game losing streak. It is a season-long skid. White Sox looking to put that out of their minds with Dylan Covey and Trevor Cahill, the starters, as the Padres are in town for the second game of three this afternoon. I'm Connor McKnight. We got a lot to do on White Sox Weekly this afternoon. I mean, I mean, tons to do. We've got so much to do, I haven't even sent the tweet out that tells you how much we have to do. 312-591-8900 is the phone number here on White Sox Weekly. As many things as we have to do on the show this afternoon. Have I mentioned there are things to do this afternoon? We always have time for you. 312-591-8900. You want to talk about where the White Sox have been over the last six games or so? You want to have a conversation about some of the young minor leaguers that have been doing so well for the White Sox? Yoan Mankata. Some of the pitchers that have been doing really well for in the White Sox bullpen down at AAA in double A, I mean, my goodness, all over the place, we've got a couple of things to talk about. You want to talk about some of the struggles that they've had, too? The White Sox over the last six games have, you know, obviously come up short, scoring some runs. There have been some opportunities. There have been some runners on base. There haven't been the amount of clutch hits, perhaps, that the White Sox needed to win ball games. And there's been a little bit of a lapse defensively. We'll talk about that quite a bit over the course of the afternoon as well. But here are our guests, and you're going to want to perhaps write these down or at least keep them in the head when you're driving around to the ballpark. Don't write and drive. But if you're driving in this afternoon, here's what's on the docket today. We're going to hear from Rick Hahn. He sat down with the assorted and assembled media uh, earlier, when, well, right when this homestand started. And we're going to hear about the first 30 games that the White Sox played. We're going to hear about the process for some of the young minor league kids that they've been going through and, and the process they're at. We're going to hear about Carlos Rodon and where his rehab has been, where he is. And we're going to hear about some of the potentially more future players that may be added to this ball club over the next month or two. We're going to hear from Carson Fulmer, speaking of young players. Had a chance to go down to Indianapolis on Monday. The Charlotte Knights were playing the Indianapolis Indians. And uh, Dave Zaslowski, who is the executive producer of White Sox Baseball, and I drove down there and talked to a bunch of minor leaguers and brought some of it back for you this afternoon. Carson Fulmer, who is a young starter the White Sox have had down there for a little while now and has just been on a fantastic run of, of quality starts, of consecutive quality starts, a lot of strikeouts, kept the walks down, kept the earned runs down. Carson's looked very good. Uh, we're going to hear from Mark Grudzelanek, who is the manager of that ball club for Charlotte. We're also going to talk to Steve McCaddy, who is the pitching coach there. And what's interesting about McCaddy, and when, when we started talking with Steve, the, the conversation really focuses a lot on one young arm in particular that the White Sox have in the organization. But I think some of the themes and some of the stuff we talk about with McCaddy kind of can get applied to a lot of young pitchers. McCaddy was the pitching coach for the Washington Nationals for a little while, about three, four years, about two years ago, which means he saw guys like Steven Strasburg, he saw guys like Max Scherzer. That Washington Nationals pitching staff has been pretty dynamite for a good long time now. And he's also seen those young dynamite arms evolve from young Phenom 
Tommy John surgery, road to the comeback, finally getting back into the show and then, you know, dominating again and, and being the guy that Steven Strasburg is. So McCaddy has kind of a, a very interesting perspective on those gentlemen and Lucas Giolito, who is a young arm in the White Sox system, obviously pitching at AAA Charlotte and, and looking to get back into, you know, being himself after he had a Tommy John surgery. Uh, we'll hear from Ricky Renneria, too. We'll bring you the entirety of his uh, news conference with reporters this afternoon. That'll get set in a little while. We'll get you a lineup, the whole thing, the usual stuff for White Sox Weekly here on WLS AM 890 today. We've got the minor league report. We'll also get into the mailbag. A lot of good questions into the mailbag over the last week or so. You can shoot those over at C1 McKnight is the Twitter handle, and that's how you can get involved with the mailbag on the show. We'll get to a couple of those, and you're not out of time. You can still suggest some questions to go through throughout the course of the afternoon over the next two hours or so. We're here until 5.30. Pre-game show starts at 5.35, and it is a 6.10 first pitch for the White Sox and Padres this evening. We'll start here, and just after the break, which is coming up in a couple of minutes, we'll get into the uh, – we've cut Rick Hahn up into two different pieces, kind of assessing the first 30 games and a look back and – the second piece, a much more of a, a look forward into what may or may not happen over the next two months or so of baseball. Of course, two months will probably take you right about to and see May, June, middle of July. And after that, you know, you've got the trade deadline right about the end of the all-star break. So I, I find so much of the intrigue perhaps surrounding the White Sox may in fact happen over the next couple of weeks. And I, I think that's a part of this season that a lot of White Sox fans have been excited for from day one, from Sox Fest, from the end of last season. And that kind of, I don't want to call it anxiety, but excitement, I guess, is kind of a weird one this year. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. And there's a couple of reasons that there's there's nothing wrong with, with feeling that way. We took a phone call on the postgame show a couple of nights ago. The White Sox had just fallen short of a comeback effort to come back. They, they one run shy, had a couple runners on late close to winning that ball game and snapping the streak as it was at that point, didn't quite get it done. In that loss, there was a lot of fight. The White Sox fell down six runs early, came all the way back. Key three-run homer by Melky Cabrera, some contributions from other places in the lineup too. Home run by Matt Davidson on a 0-2 fastball that was up around his neck. He had no business hitting that baseball whatsoever. But I, I asked Davidson about how you, how you hit that pitch the other day. He didn't say much. He just kind of flexed and then folded his hands together in, in prayer a little bit. So clearly his answer was just be strong and get a little lucky, I suppose. But that pitch, I mean, that went a long way. And the White Sox nearly came back in that ballgame. And the phone call we took in the postgame show wasn't they just they need an extra bat, but they, they got to get a, a better rotation together. They need to be more the whole. It was, that was kind of fun to watch. Yeah, it's no good going down 6-0 early. But the comeback, the fight, the energy, the hustle that Ed and DJ have seen and talked about all season long, that was all there and on display last night. You come up a hit short against a pretty good ball club, and this caller saw the future more than what's going on specifically at guaranteed rate field right now. And and while that's a weird place to be, and we'll hear from Rick Hahn in the interview he did with the, with the press on Tuesday, we'll hear from Rick Hahn about ultimately this game is wins and losses. All games are, right? I mean, it's, it's a it's a left-column, right-column kind of world. But at the same point, in order to build for the sustained success that this White Sox organization has 
professed that they're focused on for quite some time now, you have to have maybe moments like that to draw from for the future. And it it really seems that this club has gotten more out of some of the young talent than I thought they would. We'll talk a little bit about the White Sox left-handed bats. I wrote a piece up on WSAM.com slash White Sox. You can go find it about the lefty bats in the White Sox lineup that haven't shown up quite yet this season, whether that's Melky Cabrera, whether that's Omar Narvaez, whether it's Cody Ashey, whether it's Lurie, whether it's Yolmar, Yolmer Sanchez. I'm trying to say Lurie Garcia and Yolmer Sanchez at the same time, I think. Both of those guys, all of them left-handed and switch hitters and looking for a little bit more production. But in that crew, you found a couple of things, or at least received a couple of things, production-wise, from a guy like Lurie Garcia that I, I don't think anybody really expected. We'll get to that a little bit down the line. That's our plan for the show this afternoon. When we get back from the break, we'll hear from Rick Hahn, kind of start that whole uh, journey and, and talk about it as we go, too. But for the most part, you've got a show this afternoon really just for you. 312-591-8900 is the phone number. You can hit us on Twitter, at c one McKnight is the Twitter handle, and, or, maybe both. You can join us as the Sox take on the Tigers Saturday, May 27th at 1.10 p.m. The first 20,000 fans receive a White Sox photo book presented by CSN. Take a look back at the Sox in the 90s with images featuring all-time greats like Frank Thomas, Tim Raines, Bo Jackson, and more. Purchase your tickets today by visiting whitesox.com or calling 866-SOX-GAME. Pretty good giveaway there on the 27th. One heck of a giveaway today with the Hawk Harrelson alarm clock. I have seen it. I have heard it. It is fantastic. And I know that if you're listening to White Sox Weekly, you're more than likely headed down to the ballpark today to get that Hawk Harrelson alarm clock in your hands. Enjoy it. It's going to be fun. Hopefully we got a fun show for you this afternoon. We're going to do our best. You can hop in. The White Sox will play a little baseball later on tonight. 6-10 start against the Padres. I'm Connor McKnight. You have WLS AM 890. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on WLS AM 890. Most important thing of the day, the Sox and Padres get going at 610 tonight out at Guaranteed Rate Field. Our pregame show starts at 535. I have you until then. Still waiting on lineups. Oh, no, you know what? They're out. I take it back. Lineups are out for the White Sox and Padres. Just hit refresh on the old uh, Internet machine. And I have them for you, so why not go through them? Uh, the leadoff hitter for the White Sox is Lurie Garcia. He is back in center field. Two home runs last night. Without a doubt, the best offensive night Lurie Garcia has ever had. More coming up on Lurie Garcia a little bit later on in the show. Carlos Sanchez is at second base and hitting second. So right there, Yolmer Sanchez. It says Carlos on the Internet, so that they need to fix that. It's Yolmer Sanchez. The man's name is Yolmer. So two switch hitters right off the top. In fact... Three switch hitters. Melky Cabrera bats three for the White Sox this afternoon. And I find that interesting. And and if we weren't here doing the show and we were right in front of Ricky Renneria when he was having his press conference and, well, he might be having it right now. In fact, uh, one of the things I'd really like to ask him is stacking those switch hitters in a lineup. It's somewhat unconventional. Not a lot of teams do that in, in stacking those guys there. You like to spread those out a little bit to make it a little tougher for a a Padres team or whomever you're playing to go match up out of the bullpen. I, I suppose this does the same thing since they're all switch hitters. They can turn it around anytime they want, but it's interesting to me. Jose Abreu bats four. 
Avi Garcia, five, and in right field, Todd Frazier batting six, and at third base, Matt Davidson is back in the lineup and DHing, hitting seven. Kevin Smith behind the plate tonight. He'll work with Dylan Covey on the mound. Tyler Saladino bats nine for the Padres, and we'll just kind of run through this pretty quickly because we got to get to Ricky uh, Rick Hahn actually, who spoke with reporters earlier this week. Manuel Margot leads off. Matt Caesar hits second. Will Myers third. Jan Jervis Solarte at second base. There is some a point of contention as to whether it's Jan Hervis or Jan Jervis. Jason Benetti and I are we're of different camps on this, but we're, we'll get there. Ryan Schimpf is at third base. Austin Hedges is catching and batting six. Eric Ibar, the shortstop, seven. Hunter Renfro is DHing. Alan Cordova, who's very, very fast. Found that out last night when he beat out an infield single as a tapper back to Miguel Gonzalez. I, I just don't think Miguel knew Cordova was as fast as he was. And Trevor Cahill, who's been very good to start the 2017 season, Trevor Cahill is on the bump for the Padres. So we're going through some of the press conference Rick Hahn gave with reporters on Tuesday when the White Sox came back home after a long stretch on the road and, and kind of really a, sh- a short road trip or a short homestand, I should say, before they head back out on the road, a West Coast swing that's going to – it's a long one. It's a 10-game road trip and, and one all on the West Coast. So I, as you come home for a homestand, usually that's when the general manager sits down and kind of gives you – I wouldn't say it's a state-of-the-state address, but it's something close to it. So with Han, topic of conversation started this way. When they got back, they had played 30 games. They were at 15 and 15. And the question was, how do you, basically, how do you assess this club after the first 30 games of the season? You know what? I think uh, all of us are very pleased with the work that Ricky and his staff have done thus far this year, uh, both from a pregame preparation standpoint through a way the game is being played between the lines standpoint, which is ultimately translating to uh, perhaps a little bit better record than a lot of people outside that clubhouse predicted for this team. So from the things that we stated in early in spring training and actually going all the way back to the organizational meetings and through spring training that we felt were important this year, creating the right environment, creating the right culture, focusing on the things that are important to us going forward as an organization. I think Ricky and his staff have done a great job with that, and we're really pleased with where the, the club sits today because of it. How do you uh, equate that with wins and losses and what you're, you're doing this year and going beyond? Well, I think it is. I think most prognosticators probably had us a little lighter than 500 uh, over the course of the season, and we'll remain to see how the rest of the year plays out. But I think we're probably at that level right now because of the way uh, this team has been prepared on a daily basis, has been focused on a daily basis, and the way the, the effort they're given between the lines. There was a game in Cleveland we won because of uh, Avi's hustle on a ball to short left field on his uh, hustle off a of second base to score a run. And you've seen examples like that throughout the season. So uh, it, it may well translate to more wins than people predicted. It may well regress back here in the coming weeks. But the one thing we want to make sure we accomplish this season is create that right environment, the kind of thing that's going to endure year in and year out and, and uh, serve us well once uh, the talent level perhaps is at a, at a threshold that reasonably projects uh, championship contention. Rick, it's, club. it's early in the season, but are teams making any active calls to you yet? There's conversations going on, but you know, in all candor, that they probably pick up a little bit more after the draft. Right now, teams are mostly out scouting and preparing for the the June draft. And once that comes and goes, the the volume of call tends to to pick up. 
there's still conversations and certainly stuff can happen before that, but traditionally it usually takes those first couple of months in the draft to get under people's belts before they start seriously engaging in trade talks. Rick, so much focus on some of the kids that you acquired back in December. Are you satisfied with how they're all progressing in general? Well, as a, as a group, I think they're progressing roughly as we projected, and that is some are probably exceeding expectations, some are coming a little more quickly than projected, some are about on the pace that you expected, and a few are not quite playing at the level that you anticipated. But when you have uh, a large number of, of players, that's, that's what's going to happen. And our goal is to continue to add a significant cluster of player upon clusters of players that you have those groups that overachieve and force the issue and get here and you have guys that progress on the normal pace and as a result you have multiple options as you as you move forward uh, I do uh, we have talked about before the fact that uh, a player struggling in the minors is part of their development so even the guys who might not be quite on the pace that we originally had anticipated or they individually might have hoped for uh, there is a benefit to them in learning how to deal with adversity at the minor league level when the spotlights aren't quite as bright as they are in the big leagues. Uh, ultimately, when these players do get to Chicago, they are going to encounter some difficulties inevitably, just the nature of the game. And being able to uh, harken back to those struggles, the time they struggled in the minors, and the way they pulled themselves out of it is, is going to serve them well when they're big leaguers. So even the ones that are struggling are getting something out of it. So kind of a quick and dirty setup from general manager Rick Hahn about where the club has been over the first handful of games. Obviously more than 30 so far, 33 in fact. At 15 and 18, of course, the White Sox are on a six-game losing streak. So you'd like to turn that around sooner rather than later. That'll be the task of Dylan Covey and the White Sox lineup against Trevor Cahill and the Padres this evening. As for now, I, I can't tell you, and, and maybe this is because it just so happens that this show, this this White Sox Weekly Show, will probably be a bit more focused on the White Sox minor leaguers than most. And that's because of the trip that we got to make to Indy to see the Charlotte Knights. Yoan Mancata, Giolito, Lopez, Fulmer, all those guys. Delmonico, Engel, all those ballplayers. There's a bit of a conversation in what Rick Hahn was talking about there. And, and I can't stress this enough. Maybe it's because I, I started out talking to a lot of scouts when I when I started working in baseball and, and trying to find out what it was to evaluate prospects because that fascinated me or whatever. Maybe it's because, uh, you know, the White Sox have a great number of good young prospects right now, and in talking to them, you find out that the struggles they have, exactly what Rick Hahn was talking about, the hard work that you have to go through, the setbacks, the, I mean, to be quite honest and frank, failure that comprises most of baseball. I mean, hell, you get three hits in ten, you're going into the Hall of Fame, more or less. You like a lot of those hits to go for power, but still, it's it's not a support where you're succeeding more than you're fit. It's just not. And perhaps for a lot of elite prospects, some of the young kids who have never struggled through high school and even into you know college, even maybe into you know big time college programs, never really struggled. The first time they do, it's it can be a real eye opener for those guys. And so much of an organization's job at that point is to surround them with the coaches and players and identity and trust and all that good stuff. That maybe it sounds a little corny, but the you know the kumbaya corner is is necessary at that point in a player's career. And I guess, you know, I don't mean to say that you have to just coddle a guy. 
that that's the only way to do this. Maybe the kumbaya reference was, was more of a joke than really anything else. Sometimes it does take tough love. Sometimes it does take looking at a player and going, hey, you struck out. Stop doing that. Start doing what we're telling. Either way, the idea of progression as a prospect and it not being linear is a big one to grasp, especially when I think White Sox fans are going to deal with prospects at different levels and in different ways for a lot of this season. 312-591-8900 is the phone number here on White Sox Weekly. We had a quick break for news. When we come back, the rest of General Manager Rick Hahn's press conference earlier this week. I'm Connor McKnight. You've got WLS AMA 90. Now, White Sox Weekly, the official weekly talk show covering all things White Sox baseball. Get the fireworks ready. White Sox Weekly on WLS AM 890. It is White Sox Weekly here on WLS. I'm Connor McKnight. We are, we're into our first half hour of the show. No, we're done with the first half hour of the show. We're starting our second half hour. We're going all the way up until 5.30 this afternoon. Pre-game show starts at 5.35. The Padres are in town to face your White Sox. And you can enjoy guaranteed rate field just like a player. You can play catch in the outfield, warm up in the bullpens, visit the dugouts, and much more. And new this year, a premier ticket that includes hitting in the batting cages. Join us for Family Field Day on Saturday, June 10th, and support White Sox charities. To purchase your tickets Visit WhiteSoxCharities.org. That would be pretty cool. You get to do all of That's pretty cool. Again, June 10th, Saturday, June 10th, it's Family Field Day. You can purchase tickets at WhiteSoxCharities.org. And the money goes to a good cause. So it's all. It's just a win-win. 312-591-8900. Save the phone number into your mobile device, and you can give us a call here on the show every Saturday. We'll also uh, pick up some of your notes on Twitter in the mailbag segment a little later this afternoon, probably about 4, well, yeah, probably about 4.15, coming up here. Rick Hahn, though, talked with the media uh, earlier this week, right when the White Sox came back to guaranteed rate field, and we started off with playing just kind of his setup, the state-of-the-state portion of it. The second part got into a lot of interesting topics, and we're going to bring it to you now. Um, The biggest topics of concern, I suppose, are Carlos Rodon, and where the young starter for the White Sox is right now in his rehab process. Talked a lot about Yoan Mankata, the top young prospect in all of baseball and certainly in the White Sox organization. And a guy named Luis Robert. Uh, not a lot of specifics necessarily, but a conversation about the young Cuban player who is eligible to sign uh, ASAP with whatever team wins his heart and probably signs over a lot of money to him. He's probably one of the best. Uh, he's the best next prospect from Cuba. And real soon here, the new CBA clicks in, and that will limit his earning potential by a factor of at least 10. So, what this does is it forces, enables, really, enables him to get the most for his talent, and it forces teams to make a decision relatively quickly over the next couple of weeks. So, that was a. a Topic conversation as well. So was Tim Anderson, who was out this weekend attending uh, to the to a funeral of the death of one of his very good friends, the godfather of his daughter, too. And and again, our our condolences to Tim for that. Nobody needs to have to go through that. It's just an ugly time. And hopefully, he's back when he needs to be back, and he is ready to go. And and the White Sox will help him. Uh, they're making the right call and letting him attend to these kind of needs. And they got a lot of guys around him who are willing to support, ready to support their their guy, their friend. Uh, we head into the second part of Rick Hahn, starting with a conversation about Carlos Rodon and, and whether or not Rick 
and the organization kind of see. I know a lot of White Sox. Well, listen, we've taken some calls. A lot of White Sox fans have wondered where where is Carlos at this point, and why has the start of spring training, the the dialed back, um, beginning to a throwing program in spring before he got hurt the second time around. It's, it's all kind of a, a strange morass of of perhaps some um, misunderstood efforts. So here's Rick to clear things up. This organization has a knock on wood, a fairly good track record in both keeping players healthy as well as being as candid as possible with where players are from a physical standpoint. Uh, I do, for whatever reason, sense that from early in spring, there seemed to be a little bit of doubt about how we were handling Carlos as if we were uh, hiding something. And the more information we shared, the more skepticism that seemed to arise because, unfortunately, sometimes these guys don't progress literally or on a linear basis. it's not always when we say he's going to be back in two weeks. Unfortunately, sometimes they're not back in two weeks. You're dealing with medical issues and physical issues, and guys heal at different paces. Uh, I have joked over the last couple of weeks, and the beat people, beat reporters have heard this. You know, I wish we were on the NHL model where I tell you had an upper body injury, and you know, if you see him at morning skate, he might be activated that day. Go from there, because us giving you, well, he's going to maybe be off a mound here, and then when he's not off a mound, all of a sudden it creates more skepticism and almost snowballs on that early doubt that existed in the start of spring training. All I can tell you is there certainly is nothing in our organization's interest to create unrealistic expectations about a player's health or when they might return. And as a result, we've always erred on the side of of sharing uh, more information than perhaps other clubs have. At this point on Carlos, I'm only comfortable telling you he continues to progress. He's on a throwing program. I've answered the question that he's off the mound. Uh, But until we get him out on a rehab assignment, it's difficult for me to project a return date for him. We do anticipate him returning, though, here, and hopefully he does progress in a linear fashion from where he's at right now. How much of that, Rick, has to do with the timing of when you guys decided to put him on the program? That's an unfortunate development, was that we decided to take advantage of the extra time in, in spring training, and then all of a sudden he has an injury. Uh, I don't think, I certainly don't believe one's related to the other. It's just unfortunate that he developed a bursitis when he was uh, on the slower program. Certainly if we had, for whatever reason, rushed him, because of it being a shorter spring training, then you maybe would feel some responsibility or some uh, connection between those two things. But uh, I thought the slower program was a prudent call. It was one that had served us well in years past with other players. Unfortunately, the baseball gods didn't smile upon us, and he wound up facing an injury issue. When you look at creating the uh, culture in the big league level and mm-hmm. starting that with the manager, how do you measure that if not in wins and losses? Is there something you kind of look to to say we're making progress well, there? Yeah, to an, it, it's tough because it's not quantifiable, and we do realize that working in professional sports, we're judged by wins and losses. It's the easiest thing, the most objective thing that's available to everyone, and you can evaluate most easily on a daily basis. I'm lucky because I'm in. I get the access in the clubhouse. I get to see how the communication is going. I get to hear the scouting reports and how they're being communicated to players. And I also get to see a fair amount of the accountability that goes on when a player doesn't perhaps execute the way that we want them to or play the game the way we're looking for. So it's tough from an outside standpoint when you don't get access to those types of things to perhaps see the progress that's being made. Uh, shoot, last week when I was in Charlotte and talking to Mark Rosalonic and their staff and the way that they're approaching each and every game with their players and the way they're asking them to play the game, you're starting to see, again, what we talk about in organizational meetings, about a whole organizational culture from top to bottom 
being implemented throughout the the minor league system. That started when you know Ricky ex- addressed our coaches in, or, in the org meetings and continued through spring training, and now you see it out at our affiliates. Again, ultimately, we will all be judged on wins and losses. But until we feel, as an organization, we're at where it's fair to judge us internally, at least by wins and losses, because of where the talent is, we're going to evaluate based on how these. You know, I suppose softer elements are, are being carried out in private. What have you seen of Ricky so far that kind of enforces that standard? In uh, the kind of that standard, what do you guys expect from the from this level? I mean, I mean, sort of what I just said: the the level of energy, the focus, the, the attention to detail, the way he's communicating with players, the way he's holding players accountable, uh, and doing that, you know, primarily in private. So, I, again, uh, he came to us with the reputation as a great communicator, a great baseball man, a tireless worker, and uh, he certainly has met or exceeded those, that reputation ever since he put on a White Sox uniform. You were able to go to uh, see Moncada and a lot of other players at Charlotte. Uh, we know bringing Moncada up in the middle of May would mean you would still be able to hold on to him for six more years after that. Uh, do you, you feel he's close to being a product finished enough to come up and play in the major leagues? I think he's made a great deal of progress since the end of spring. There were a few specific elements on the defensive side of the ball as well as a few on the off, at the plate that we wanted to see progress with. And that specifically uh, Ricky and Super Joe were working with him here. And then once he got reassigned, Mark and Vance Law and, and Andy Tomberlin were all working with him uh, once he was with Charlotte. He has responded to that. He has shown a, a, a fair amount of progress in, in each of those areas that we've asked of him. That said, we want to see that over an extended period of time. It's, in, it's awfully important, I think, to not lose fi- sight of the fact that this is a 21-year-old player. This is one who was not playing in the States two years ago as of right now. It's a guy who has fewer than, I want to say, about 325 or so plate appearances above a ball. So. We think the world of his talent, we think the world of his future, and we think he's responding to the challenges we put ahead of him. But we're not going to rush this. As satisfying as it may be for all of us with the organization to see him out there even tonight at the big league level, because it gives you that sort of shot in the arm and shows you that, hey, there's progress in this rebuild, and look at this tangible sign right here. That's not in the long-term interest of Yohan Moncada or the club. He'll be here when he answers all the questions that we have for him from a developmental standpoint at the minor league level. He's doing a pretty darn good job thus far answering some of those questions, but again, there's benefit to letting him fully answer all those and uh, continue his repetitions at that level until that next stage of his development takes place here in Chicago. Does he does he understand that? Does he 100%. know that? Okay. Rick, is there a part of his game maybe you didn't know was this strong? Are you learning anything on the fly about Mokai? You know, our scouts do a real nice job on, on makeup and work ethic, but until you actually have a guy in your uniform and you're with him on a daily basis, can you really, truly evaluate that? Uh, and while we certainly knew he was a worker and, and diligent, you still knew he was a young player and one who had uh, received a fair amount of money at a young age, which sometimes changes how a guy goes about his business. But every indication we got from him, going back to our hitters camp in January and, and the work he did in spring training and now the work he does each day down in Charlotte, is uh, he does have that you know, special star caliber makeup where he is willing to pay the price to be great. And the tools are obviously off the chart. Everyone sees those when you get a limited exposure to them. But seeing him on a daily basis, you get to appreciate uh, how special of an individual he is as well and how, therefore, he's in a very good position to you know, health permitting, maximize those tools and reach a ceiling. 
Speaking of uh, young Cuban talent, what, what are you uh, able to... You're breaking up, I can't <laughs> How are you able to characterize your Operate. level of interest in uh, Lewis Robert? And how, how intense will the competition be for him? Uh, you know, I've seen the publications that have had us in the mix. Uh, I certainly understand why people would believe we'd be in the mix, given uh, how nicely he could conceivably fit, not only with what we're trying to do as an organization in terms of the rebuild, but obviously our history with similar such players. Uh, I expect that the bidding for this player will be extremely robust. Uh, he's certainly an extremely talented uh, young man who's going to have an impact on whatever organization he winds up joining. And uh, given the fact that the collective bargaining agreement changes how these players are treated here in a few weeks, uh, this is really the last opportunity for certain clubs to exercise strictly their financial might in order to receive such a talent. I expect there will be robust bidding on this player. Rick, uh, you out of the uh, picture? Again, the I can't really hear you. The fact that it's going to be robust. Uh, it's going to be robust. Are you optimistic, Rick? I'm always optimistic, Scott. <laughs> That's the way I like to go about life. It's much easier that way. Uh, look, it, it's going to be a robust bidding, and we'll see how it unfolds here in the coming weeks. Rick, uh, fan, 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 we've, look, nah, I'm going to leave it at that. <laughs> Rick, uh, we'll talk in a couple of weeks. We'll talk in a couple of weeks. Rick, fan, fans and uh, also the media, we're the best uh, armchair GMs. Uh, you kidded in an earlier interview that uh, people come up to you and make trade suggestions, even one on the north side. Do you get that a lot on the streets and elsewhere? A decent amount. A decent amount. I get it a lot uh, at the breakfast table more than anywhere. <laughs> and they don't understand why I say no as much as I do. Uh, but that's, look, that's part of the fun. That's part of the fun. That's part of probably why I got into this. You guys, most all you know, I used to write letters to GMs when I was 11 years old. And with, what I thought were pretty darn good ideas myself, none of which really got executed upon, but uh, they're lost. Uh, I get it. I get it. It's exciting. It's what makes the game accessible to people, and, and uh, you know, especially if we had won the night before, I'm usually in a pretty accessible, good mood to, to engage on it. But I still haven't heard back from the guy at the TSA at O'Hare, so that's on him. <laughs> is there any truth to is there any difficulty trading with the Cubs just because no, of the culture? No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Look, I, I, we've been over this a lot, and probably going to have to be over it a lot over the next several years, and I get it. But we are, any transact, any deal we make is about maximizing the future of the White Sox. We are open to business with all 29 other clubs. I think the best evidence I can probably point to to that is simply our willingness to do trades within our division, which has a far, far greater impact on our ability to compete than doing a deal with a team in the other league, just as we happen to share you know, proximity to them geographically. So there's, there's zero issue doing a deal with the Cubs or any of the other 28 teams after them. We're about putting the White Sox in the best position, and, and hopefully throughout our trades, both sides wind up winners. Was he, uh, with uh, Tim Anderson, is it expected that he's going to go through these uh, trials and tribulations knowing he's still in full player development? Yeah, we, we, we talked about the time when we did, at the time when we did the extension with him. We don't view Timmy as a finished product. He's still developing at this level, and uh, as we talked about when we got him out of the draft, he, there's, a, there's still a level of rawness that repetition at every level helps iron out. And uh, the fact doesn't change that he's supremely talented, uh, a very hard worker, and someone who's an important part of our future. But the fact that he's gone through a little bit of a rough stretch here isn't, isn't surprising, and, and 
again, will serve him well in the long run, we believe. That is White Sox general manager Rick Hahn. Glad we could bring that to you here on White Sox Weekly. What else are we here for? Oh, your phone calls, 312-591-8900. You can get involved with the show that way. we got some time coming up after a quick break. Sox fans, you can join us on Memorial Day, May 29th, as the White Sox take on the Boston Red Sox at 1.10 p.m., all kids 13 and under will receive White Sox Patriotic Sunglasses presented by Bright Start College Savings. To purchase your specially priced tickets, go to whitesox.com slash brightstart529. I'll do that again for you. The website for those tickets on Memorial Day where you can see the Boston Red Sox at 110. All kids 13 and under get the White Sox Patriotic Sunglasses. The website is whitesox.com slash brightstart529. Numerals. You don't actually have to spell out the number. We'll be right back and talk a lit a lot about what happened and what was conversed there with White Sox general manager Rick Hahn. We've got the news coming up, and then we've got a big, deep mailbag and a big, long minor league report for you as well. I'm Connor McKnight. You've got WLS AMA 90. What the hell's going on out here? White Sox Weekly Farm Report. We need a live rooster to take the curse off Jose's glove, and nobody seems to know what to get Millie or Jimmy for their wedding present. Candlesticks always make a nice gift, and uh, maybe to find out where she's registered, maybe a place setting or maybe a silverware pound. On WLS AM 890. Okay, let's get to it. MLB.com at bat is your number one mobile app for live White Sox baseball. You stay connected with a fully customizable experience. Get White Sox home screen icons and app features as well as game day. Live game video highlights, radio broadcasts, statcast news, and more. Download MLB.com at bat today. This is the Minor League Report, and it is an extended one on this afternoon's edition of White Sox Weekly. Thanks for hanging out with us. We are in our second hour of the show leading up to the 535 start of the pregame show. Sox and Padres tonight. Ed and DJ get things at about 6 o'clock. First pitch, 610 this evening. I have seen tweets outside of Guaranteed Rate Field, and it is absolutely, not a surprise here, packed. Absolutely packed with people ready to get in on a gorgeous afternoon for White Sox baseball. And, of course, there's that little matter of the Hawk Harrelson alarm clock that is being given away to the first 20,000 fans out there. If you're not in line already, God help you. Because that alarm clock is going to go, it's going to go like hot, it's going to go really fast. It is. First 20,000 get it. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised at all if there are 20,000 outside the ballpark already for a 6'10 first pitch. All right, that's enough stalling and enough adulation of one Hawk Harrelson, although you know he deserves it. Uh, you've got the phone number, and before we get into this minor league report, I want to give you a little bit of prep work, a little bit of uh, context, I suppose, into the AAA season this year for one Carson Fulmer. First-round pick out of Vanderbilt, made his major league debut last year. It did not go well. Uh, really no other way to say it. He, he did not throw all that well. The strikeouts were there. He got Albert Pujols in his very first at bat, struck him out. That's awesome and fun. I, I've talked with Carson about that a couple of times, and that's yeah, that's something you can't take away from him. Albert Pujols is going to the Hall of Fame, and he was the first guy he struck out. So that's pretty cool. That said, Carson's always wanted to be a starter, and I think he's going to want to be a starter until they take it away from him one way or another. I, I think he's got the chance and the ability to get deep into ball games, to be that kind of sort. Last year in AAA, last year for Fulmer, kind of a strikeout guy, just a, a heavy amount of, of strikeouts and stuff. And this year, it really seems that he's 
learned how to pitch. I, I think, I don't know if mass overhaul is probably going a little bit too far. But there's been a lot of work done with the repertoire that he has, with the arsenal that he uses. I remember talking to him right after he got drafted. And I had, you know, I'd, I'd watched some tape or whatever, and I, I saw that he was kind of throwing a, this curveball, a nasty curveball. This is at Vanderbilt. I'm watching the tape from Vanderbilt. And he's bouncing this curveball up to, to hitters in college, and they're swinging like they, they thought it was coming right across the thighs. Well, that pitch doesn't get swung at in the upper levels of the minor leagues. That pitch certainly doesn't get swung at all that often in the major leagues, and Carson learned that. That's not something he can use against advanced hitters. In college, yeah, sure, get all the strikeouts you want, if, especially if the curveball moves like that. He's learned to throw that for strikes. He's learned to manipulate the fastball to cutter, four, all that kind of good stuff, like a lot of White Sox pitchers have. And with Carson, you've seen the successes. 39 and two-thirds innings so far this year. He has started seven games over those 39 and two-thirds innings. He has walked 12. He struck out 33. His opponent's average is 235. The whip, love this, 1.18 is the whip. He's given up home runs, five of them in seven starts. I think four of them, though, were solo shots. And I think of the five, I believe another four were hit by guys who, take this for what it's worth, guys who had played in the major leagues, had experience in the major leagues. He'd been hit, you know, taken deep by a couple of guys who knew what they were doing, it seems, or at least, you know, have that advanced approach. The ERA sits at 2.72. So went down to Indianapolis to talk with Carson Fulmer because his Charlotte Knights were in town to play the Indianapolis Indians. And the conversation started essentially like this. How is it, Carson, that you've carried over what you built on, what you constructed in spring training this year as opposed to last year, this year, into your first seven starts with the Knights? Spring training was really good for me. Uh, I was able to continue to work on what I was working on uh, towards the end of last year, and it's carried on through this year. Um, you know, I've had some really good starts. I've had one that um, kind of got away with me a little bit, but... After that, man, I've had some really good quality starts. I've thrown a ton of strikes, and I've gotten, you know, past five innings each time I've been out. So, uh, you know, I'm continuing to work on it. Um, obviously, you have to trust the process and, and respect decisions that are made, but um, I'm ready, man. You know, I feel really good at where I am, just trying to be around Cat a little more and, and uh, continue to develop as a baseball player. What are conversations with coaches like at this point about getting deep into games? What does that concern, or what do those kind of ideas concern with your work? Yeah, um, I think more importantly, you just have to force, you know, weak contact, or at least just contact it in self, um, not trying to be too fine. I think that uh, as pitchers, we try to be, you know, we try to make that perfect pitch, and I think that you know, having a, you know, nine-pitch inning with, with three ground outs or, you know, I'm not trying to strike everybody out. I think it's really important. Um, that's something for me is as competitive as I am and, you know, with me wanting to strike everybody out, you know, I, I definitely have to take that into consideration because, you know, those uh, one-pitch, two-pitch at-bats uh, get you deep into ball games, and as a starting pitcher, you know, that's definitely, uh, you know, something I always try to do each time I'm out. How has getting that taste in the majors last year affected how you've gone about your business this year? Yeah, uh, once you get a taste of it, you want more. Um, you know, as baseball players, like we all do, you know, we, we want to be in the big leagues and we want to stay in the big leagues. Um, 
the experience that I had last year it was incredible. I, I learned uh, a ton of things that have been really beneficial for me down here. Um, it's just, uh, like I said, respecting the process and, and doing everything you can here uh, to, uh, you know, get back to the level and stay in there. Um, I've learned a lot about myself. I've, uh, you know, tweaked uh, some things that, you know, have made me feel pretty comfortable now. And, and it's all about being consistent at this point, um, being able to go out there and give your team a, you know, good momentum and, and a chance to win each, you know, every ball game. Tyler said that, or Tyler Danish said it, it almost is a little bit difficult to sometimes trust that you belong when you first get called up just because it is such a big difference. Do you feel like now the next time you get called up, you're you're going to feel like you belong, or was that never an issue for you? Um, you know, I uh, I could definitely see where Danish is coming from. Um, you're put into an environment that you've been watching as a kid for so long, and now you're a part of that. And I think that uh, the first time up for a lot of guys is uh, um, just an experience thing on itself. Uh, come down to AAA, you learn what you need to do to get back to the level. And, and uh, you know, especially with our team and the, and the veteran guys that we have, um, us young guys, when we come up, you know, they're going to make us feel comfortable. And, uh, you know, it speaks a lot about the culture that we have uh, in the White Sox organization and, and uh, the willingness for those older players to, uh, you know, make us feel comfortable there. I feel like the purpose of the adaptations the organization's had you made as far as, like, you know, throwing a two-seamer, throwing a cutter, like throwing stuff with movement in the zone that you can pound the zone with is about, you know, getting ground ball outs and trying to be more economical with your pitches. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm a starting pitcher. You know, I have to be able to learn those things and kind of get out of my comfort zone a little bit to you know, uh, you know, enforce, you know, weak contact. You know, that's, that's something that, uh, you know, we try hard to do is to get into ball games, And it's, sometimes it's tough, you know, sometimes it's tough. But uh, being able to do the small things like take a deep breath or just kind of, you know, gather yourself a little bit, you know, changes, uh, you know, your approach sometimes and it gets you into deep ball games. So, um, you know, Cat, uh, Coop, the whole pitching staff in itself with our organization has helped me a lot and and uh, I'm getting to a place now where I've learned a lot about myself and uh, my abilities and I've uh, been able to do a good job of that. What's your take on uh, Moncada just his play behind you and just the kind of person he is that you've seen so far <laughs> and you got to know him a little in spring training. Too. Yeah I'm glad he's on our team man that's for sure <laughs> you know uh, he's he's a good dude our uh, our clubhouse is great um, you know we're all really really close with one another um and uh, he he doesn't show a lot of emotion, which is a good thing, you know. He plays pretty comfortably, but the guy's incredible. The guy has uh, um, outstanding abilities, and like I said, it's uh, you know we're glad that he's on our team with, with the stuff he's able to do. Kevin Smith said when he got called up that you guys first started here, but it seemed like you've been playing together for like a season already. The, the group is so close. Yeah, we're, we're super close. Um, you know, I think our organization has put us all together to um, develop that championship type of culture. Um, being around each other on and off the field, um, playing with energy, um, and really just trusting everybody. You know, as a pitcher, you know, you have to, you know, put the ball in play. You know, you guys guys behind you for a reason. And, you know, I definitely, we all definitely trust everybody that's out there. And um, we've got, we definitely have something special here. I think that, um, you know, the more we play together, obviously we'll get more comfortable. But at this point, we're, we're all pretty comfortable, man. We, you know, we, we're definitely, uh, you know, ready each and every day we come to the field. You used the word incredible to describe Moncada. I don't know if that's if you're a guy who throws <laughs> words like that around loosely. When you call a guy incredible, what, is that, what does that mean? He's a special talent, man. And that's the thing, you know, uh, 
you know, his abilities on the field is one thing, but, you know, the kind of person he is is, is another. Uh, you know, we get that inside, you know, kind of, I don't know, scoop a little bit about being around teammates, and he's, you know, one guy that I uh, definitely love having around. Um, doesn't say too much, but, you know, uh, gets what he needs to get done and, you know, uh, has, has, has fun. He has fun, and uh, we love having him here on our team. Do you feel like this is like the most consistent and comfortable you've been with the organization this past stretch, this month and a half? Yeah, absolutely. Um, last year was an up and down year for me. Obviously, um, I was able to get to the big leagues, which is which was great. But you know, being sent down here and um, our willingness to get back up there is is uh, you know something we work hard to do. And I think that uh, once we make that next step, um, we'll definitely be ready for it. And I feel like uh, we're all pretty much comfortable at this point. That's Charlotte Knights starter Carson Fulmer with the bat crack in the background. The Knights were taking BP as we were all talking to Carson down there in Indianapolis. He has had, we, we talked about it before we started the interview, real good start to the season. And we, we played Rick Hahn earlier in the show. We played Carson Fulmer just now. And you know, I, th- I think there's two things that are kind of not at odds, but butting up against each other here. The, the White Sox want to make sure, really sure, that when their prospects get called up, A, they're at the right time for the organization. And I'm talking about service time stuff there. I know that can be a little, you know, feel a little nefarious, I guess, you know, with keeping a player down that may, in fact, be ready for Major League Ball a little bit longer than they need down there for their game to make sure that it is a a, a club-friendly situation. It's, you know, on the other side for a player, but those are the rules to this game. I don't think any such thing is necessarily happening with the White Sox right now, but as Carson continues to pitch, as Yohan Mankata continues to rake, there are going to be, at some point this season, you know, pretty honest questions have to be asked in the organization about, all right, they're ready. They, they may be ready at some point this year. I, I'm not necessarily, you know, going against the organization saying they're not ready or that they are ready now. I, at some point this season, it's entirely possible that talents like that are ready to roll. And it'll be really interesting to see what those guys look like when and if they arrive at the big leagues this year. 312-591-8900. The extended version of the minor league report continues. We'll talk to AAA manager Mark Grudzelanek when we come back on WLS AM 890. To join, I'm Connor McKnight. This is White Sox Weekly. Our extended look into the minor league, specifically AAA Charlotte, rolls on. I had a chance to speak with White Sox uh, or AAA manager Mark Grudzelanek. He has a boatload of young talent in his club, on his club right now. So the question began with, what's it like having all these talented young players right here on your squad? Yeah, no question. It's been fun. I mean, they're they're great kids. I mean, I I think that's the number one thing you got to do is is, uh, get to know them a little bit, get a feel for them, what they like, what they don't like, kind of their work habits and, you know, just their overall, you know, personality is, uh, so it's been fun. It's been a lot of fun. How has Moncada been in the clubhouse? Uh, he's loosening up. You know, a quiet guy uh, out of the gates and, and um, you know, just one of those guys you got to kind of get to know him a little bit before you start playing around with him. But uh, I think he's taken to some of the guys and he's taken it to, uh, you know, the rest of the team and, and uh, being more, Involved in things, um, he's talking a lot more, so he's he's definitely getting comfortable. And he's been doing drills with you before games. How have you how do you felt about how he's responded to the work you've demanded him to put in? Again, it was a work in progress from the get go. Uh, getting to know him a little bit before I even started was was 
I felt important to understand uh, and watch him for a little while uh, to see where he's at and, and with the the other guys and the coaches in spring training. Um, and then we put together a little plan here. And um, he's taken to it, though, uh, hugely. Um, his, his actions out there, his work habits, uh, he's getting after it. He's understanding it. Uh, he knows there's room for improvement there, and uh, he's making strides to get better each and every day. What are conversations like with a player like him who's you know kind of close to the big leagues, has had some time, and is having just a great amount of success here at AAA? Oh, no question. I mean, uh, you know, it, physically he's just he's gifted, but... Um, you know, that, that, I, I guess my experience helps out a little bit. What I've been through, how long I played, um, the kind of personnel and, and, and players that I've been around, the coaches, the managers. Um, I, I think I have a lot to offer a young man like that, and I think he realizes that, and, and uh, that's why we've been, you know, really on the same page and communicating really well. You have a number of guys here who have had a little bit of time in the major leagues, but maybe not a lot. What do you want to see? those guys just in general take from their major league experience to growing down here in Charlotte? Well, it, it, it's you know, everybody's a little bit different, whether it be on the mound, relieving, starting uh, position player-wise, but there's always a reason. I mean, and, and you got to understand that reason and, 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 and know that you have to work on that and get better. So uh, the consistency is what keeps you up in the big leagues uh, and making adjustments. And, and obviously they're here for a reason and we need to do that now and, and we get after it and, and they know that. Uh, there's no, no better satisfaction than me saying, hey, you're going up. That's what it's all about. Tyler Ladendorf, um, the guy that plays probably every position you, you can, I mean, how nice is it to have a guy like that on your team? Oh, no question. He gives me flexibility, and it's really nice to have a guy like that um, that can play other positions. He's been phenomenal for us all year so far in the short five, six-week period, but uh, he can play everywhere. I even put him at first in spring training a little bit. He didn't miss a beat over there either, so uh, he's a great guy, understands his role, understands what he needs to do, and that, that's, that's how he's going to get there. Yes, his bat seems like to be like when he was with Oakland. Maybe if he just hit a little, maybe against maybe righties. But is it still maybe the bat that's? I mean, defensively, he seems like he's you know major league job. Yeah, he gets it done. He's 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 an average defender. I mean, he gets it. Uh, nothing like blazing speed or, or or you know a seven arm or anything like that. But he makes the routine plays, and that's what you have to do to get there. And uh, he's showing that he's he's uh, you know he's hitting the ball pretty good this year. I, I mean, there's be you know he's kind of on that little wave, but uh, he makes contact usually and and puts the ball in play, which is nice and, and does some good things. He's again just like you say on defensive side of it, he can play all over, but he's a good bat. You know he. You can hit and run. You can do a lot of things that way, too. Fans want to see guys like uh, Moncada and Birdie and everyone else up as, as soon as feasibly possible. How, how do you know? How do you get a sense? When, obviously, it's a group thing from Rick and Kenny right on down the line. But how do you get a sense when you say, yeah, this guy's ready to, to take the next step kind of thing to make to take on the next challenge? Yeah, well, you know, in, in Makata, it's a, his, his situation is a little bit different than most. Um, you know, he's, 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 he's so young, and, he, and the reps, and 
uh, learning situations out there, being in the right spots. I mean, it's just he hasn't had a whole lot of hours out there, to say the least. So um, it, it's, it's, this is nothing but good for him. And, and uh, you know, and, and it's just not about just hitting and catching the ball. There's so many more uh, little things and detailed stuff that you have to learn and understand. So uh, he's there. I mean, he's getting there. You, you could throw him up there right now and he'd be fine. There's no question about it. I mean, it's a, it's a work in progress. There'll be some things there where, like, man, I thought, you know, how come he didn't know that or this or that? Well, right. he's 21 years old, and he, how many minor league games have he played in? So um, it, it, it's something where, again, that's out of my hands. When he's ready, I give I give my opinion, and 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 there, there's people up there that get paid to do that. I, I'm not in that situation, but you know, I I, I love having him here. He's he's a phenomenal talent. Uh, he's going to have a, hopefully a, a long and healthy big league career, and we'll see where that goes. But he has potential to be somebody very special. That's minor league manager Mark Rudzelanik, and a lot of people seem to have that opinion of Yoan Mankata, and he's going to be pretty darn good once he gets it all together. Sox fans, you can join us as we welcome back White Sox greats on homecoming weekend, Friday, May 26th to Sunday, May 28th, when the White Sox battle the Tigers. Homecoming weekend is presented by the Village of Bedford Park. Bring your business home to Bedford Park. And win big. To purchase tickets, visit WhiteSox.com. 5 o'clock news is next. The extended minor league report rolls on. Of course, we got the pregame show at 535. I'm Connor McKnight. This is WLS AM 890. Now, White Sox Weekly, the official weekly talk show covering all things White Sox baseball. Get the fireworks ready. White Sox Weekly on WLS AM 890. It's the home stretch for White Sox Weekly this afternoon. Our pregame show starts in gasp 29 minutes i gotta get set we gotta get that thing rolling 610 first first pitch between the white Sox and padres i'm connor mcknight and we've got all this sorts of white Sox action for you this afternoon and into the evening Sox fans you can join us out of guaranteed rate field plenty of you are there already the hawk harrelson alarm clock is a well it's a success an alarming success uh, probably too false stuff. But everybody's out there. Everybody's got their alarm clocks. The thing is fantastic. I just wonder if that's going to be. Here's my thought, and I, I've been thinking about this for a while. What if what if everybody set their alarm clocks to go off like right as Trevor Cahill for the Padres was set to pitch? I mean, is that a legal thing to do? I don't. You know, I mean, that's that's I, like flash photography. You can do it, right? You just make a bunch of noise. Have Hawk Harrelson make a bunch of noise for you in the ballpark. Uh, the Young Professionals Council is hosting its second annual stand-up with the Sox comedy event on June 8th at Zaney's in Old Town. Comedian Pat McGann, funny dude. Doesn't say so in the read, uh, but I'm telling you, he's a funny guy. He's back to host the show with all proceeds benefiting White Sox charities. Visit whitesox.com slash comedy to get your tickets today we are uh right toward the end right at the end of our in-depth minor league review of the white Sox, and we we get to do this because the charlotte knights were in indianapolis just a couple of days ago monday in fact so we took the opportunity to go down there as a show talk to some folks and get kind of the the latest the roundup of some of these young minor league kids coaches and prospects we weren't the only ones that went down there. A bunch of the beat writers went down. The White Sox were off on Monday, so it was a good opportunity for a lot of people to go down there and do some features. There have been a lot written up on Carson Fulmer and Yohan Mankata, of course, but other guys are, are in this system as well and, and throwing for the Charlotte Knights. One of them is Lucas Giolito, and he headlined the deal for Adam Eaton a little while ago. 
guys like Dane Dunning have done really well so far this season. And Ronaldo Lopez has struck out a lot of batters as well. He was in that trade too. Giolito has struggled a bit in AAA. It's a 7-3-1 ERA. He's made six starts, a whip at 1.76, 18 walks, six home runs. He's hit three. He's got some strikeouts. No doubt about it, 31 strikeouts in 28 and a third, so that number is pretty decent there. Had a chance to talk with Steve McCaddy, the AAA pitching coach down there. McCaddy was with the Nationals organization for a good long time and got to see Steven Strasburg coming up, got to see Max Scherzer work at his peak, you know, the whole thing. Although I'm sure Max Scherzer would tell you that his peak's still on the road or still coming around, I should say. So... The conversation with Steve McCat, and it's a good one. He he talked pitching in a way that, you know, especially the development of young pitching, which is so crucial and core to the White Sox rebuilding efforts since they have so many young, good arms, in a way that I really hadn't thought about. And I wanted to bring it to you here. The, the conversation started this way. How does McCaddy compare some of these young White Sox arms to where some of these young national arms that are in the big leagues now were at when he had them in their burgeoning states. They're a little different, but, uh, you know, I don't know if I can... The only one I could really draw a comparison to is probably the, the type of person is is Stephen and uh, Lucas. Uh, just from the fact that, you know, Stephen was such a high-profile guy and uh, with all the pressure and all the things that we did and talked about at the time and everybody's expectations of what he should be and not letting him be as good as he can and so when Lucas was drafted and he had the elbow surgery and you know he's throwing 100 miles an hour and everybody says well here's another Steven Strasburg and here's what this guy should be able to do but it just doesn't work that way but they both have uh, you know same sort of personalities they have pressures that have been put on them by outside sources but you know in the game the media and it's awfully hard to live up to and I told him the same thing I told Stephen the, the day that I met Stephen. I told Lucas, don't be what everybody else thinks you should be. Be as good as you can be, and then you will have nothing to feel bad about. If you're worried about living up to the standards of what everybody else wants, it's not going to happen. Okay? Even for Stephen, they're, they're just too high. And so, the, the, but they have you know, a lot of similarities between personalities and, and things like that. So it's, it's really interesting. How good can Lucas be? Yeah, well, it's hard. You know, it's really hard to, to say. He's only 22 years old, and he's been basically pitching for uh, since the injury, coming back for really getting out there and getting some innings in for two years. So it's a, it's a learning process. He's um, gone through a lot of things. Like I say, the expectations that you put on yourself, uh, you know, and then going to the big leagues last year and, yeah, I, I'm not not wasn't there. I I have no idea or can't say why he was taken up or anything like that. But you know, sometimes when you're not ready to go to the big leagues and you go there and and the success isn't uh, easy for you, it can, it can weigh on you mentally and you put a lot of pressure on yourself. So and that could be a lot to do with it. Uh, but uh, I think Lucas, if, when he starts to learn himself, pitching at this higher level. Uh, his, the command of his breaking ball has been much better than last year. He has a very good breaking ball. He's developing his changeup, and that's still very good at times. The last few times out, it's been outstanding. And now it's getting back to trusting what he did and throwing his fastball for strikes. And, you know, every, all young guys have 
command issues. And we're and, and this is really tough in this league. We haven't been to these ballparks yet, but when you're pitching a lot in Charlotte, I don't know if you've been there, but you you know it's like being at Fenway with a short wall. The ball you know the ball carries out there, and you, you Durham is like that. Columbus is like that. So. Uh, you, you get things going in your mind. You're, you're pitching to the ballpark, let's say, and protecting some things. And I'm not. I, I just see those things where, where you're trying to make too good of a pitch that they don't hit it in the air. But uh, it, it makes it tough. But I think he's. I think he's progressed from spring training. Uh, hopefully, he's learning more about the game, more about himself every time out. And. and even though you might look at some things, uh, the results of his ERA being up a little bit generally because, you know, the fastball command hasn't been what it should be yet, but it's getting better. So we continue to work on some mechanical things, but also, you know, things and some a mental approach to doing things that uh, that hopefully that will help him and we'll see where it goes. How steady is it mechanics? Ben, you know, he talked a little bit about last year that he probably tinkered a little too much with the mechanics off and out. Have you seen repeatability and better? Well, you know, I, again, getting back to when I was over there, I, I didn't see him much in the minor leagues, you know, just a few times because then he had, he had the, the surgery. So, uh, yeah, you look at things, and, and it's always about repeating your mechanics, but also knowing what your mechanics are. You know, and when you tinker around a lot, everybody, especially when you're young, and there are some other guys that tinker all the time, guy with Washington, Drew Storm, was always doing something. But so you got to find something that works or close to it and be able to repeat pitches and trust yourself when you're going to throw the ball that it's going to go there. And, then, you know, that's some of the things that guys are tinkering or always looking for something, and then they go out, what they do, they change their arm slot. The next thing you know, they're open, they're closed, their foot's back here, they're throwing, you know, different slots. He's He has not been that. He's just trying to get back to what basically feels good and a lot of something that when he lets the ball go that he feels like he has a good finish and it feels good coming out of your hand. Give me how long the process can be to kind of like find his mechanics. Well, again, you know, it's one of those things. You know, shoot, he could go out uh, tonight and boom, there it is. We, we work on it and, oh man, that's it. I feel it because his curveball has really been good. Changeup has been really good. But it's just the location of the fastball. It could be something that, boom, you know, that feels great and that's it. But that doesn't mean two starts from now he's going to be in the big leagues. I always tell everybody it's great when you, you're you a young guy and you can throw 100 miles an hour. But that doesn't mean you're going to be good. you got to learn what you can do. you got to learn your strengths and what to do in situations. There's so much more that's involved in the game when you're out there pitching than just sitting there trying to rely on ability to overpower guys. Because that doesn't work in the big leagues. Might work for an inning or two, the guys out of the bullpen. But as a starter, that generally doesn't work. You can look at guys with Max Scherzer. He got unbelievable stuff. But this guy can pitch. He got a great changeup. He knows when to throw it when he wants to throw it. Trust himself to throw it. Stevens developed that. And even you know when they had Jordan over there, those guys knew what their strength was, and they used it. So by him just all of a sudden he has one or two games say boom he's ready for the big leagues that's that's not the case he's 22 years old it's a long haul you want to, you don't want to just get there and show up and then fight your way back you know a lot of guys that have ability it's easy to get there but it's hard to stay there so there's you know, there's a there's a process in what he still has to learn but it doesn't mean you know he can't come out tonight and all of a sudden you say wow this kid's throwing great let's bring him to the big leagues it's, it's 
it's not the case, but uh, I can't really put a time limit. Generally speaking, when you have players who have you know, played a little bit in the majors or started a couple of games in the majors, then come back down to AAA, what do you want to see out of them in their time back in AAA that will lead to some success? Uh, what, I, what I always believe, there's nothing better than a well-placed fastball. And it can be 99 or it can be 89. You see, you, every time, you know, and I'm always accused of being the different guy, the different thinker, but you ask any hitter up there, would you rather see a 92-mile-an-hour fastball, 90-92 down with real good sink, or 96 down the middle of the plate? It's about location there. The, the 95, the 96, that is not a real big deal to them, especially not anymore. They see it all the time. But guys that still have the ability to locate the pitches where they want to and they use them in the right situations, that's what makes hitting really tough. But rearing back and just ripping it, that does not mean you're just going to go up there bang and just be great. There's just a lot more to it than that. But uh, so for him, you know, if it... If it took the rest of this year and next year. So what's he going to be, 24 years old? And if he goes to the big leagues and he's throwing pretty good, well, everybody's going to say, well, look, Lucas is doing what we think. It may not be, you know, 25 games in the big leagues, but still he's going to be as good as he can be. And that's that's what he's got to look up to. Be as good as I can be, not to be as good as what you expect. And I would tell that to, you know, to, to Lopez, to Fulmer, to Birdie, to anybody that I have here and anybody that I've had in the past. This is saying a lot of the same conversations. How do you keep him like process focused when he's having rough results? How do you keep him patient? Well, because you got to, like we talked about the other day when he when he pitched. You, if you go out and you only look at the negatives during a game, God, I couldn't get to you know, couldn't stop him from scoring after we scored. I go out there for the fifth inning and I didn't get through it. Okay, I get that. That's part of learning. That's something that you got to do. It doesn't make that that it's all right that you didn't. I said, but how was your curveball? What was better? Did, were you throwing it for strikes? Yes. How was your changeup? That was really good, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. So we got you got one negative out of there, and I see two positives, maybe three. So you gotta, you gotta, you're always trying to improve on your weaknesses, and make your strengths better. But you, you just can't go out and say, man, I just suck because I didn't get through five innings, and I didn't. There's, he's made progress in a lot of areas. But it's a, it's a growing thing. And he's got to know what he is first. I mean, he's not even close to the being to a, a finished product that he's going to be. But, uh, you know, uh, like I say, it could go out two starts, and uh, you know, who, who knows what happens. But we just continue to work on the things that allow him to focus and be throwing the fastball where he should and getting ahead, using his breaking ball and his changeup. And he's, he's doing that. That's AAA pitching coach Steve McCaddy with a really interesting look, specifically on Lucas Giolito, but I think it can be kind of uh, ascribed to a lot of different young starters who are developing in the minor leagues. A really interesting look at how development happens and what it looks like to be down there at that level and getting better as a ball player. We got to close it out when we come back. This is White Sox Weekly. The pregame show starts at 535. Tell you a little bit about what's coming up next on WLS AM 890. We're closing up shop here on White Sox Weekly. Just a minute or so left before we got to hop into the other White Sox studio and get the pregame show started for the Sox and Padres this afternoon. We'll get that thing going at uh, 535, so just a few minutes from now. Family Sundays feature tickets as low as $5 in the upper level, $15 in the lower level, and parking for only $10. Plus, special kid-focused activities are located throughout the ballpark. Family Sundays are proudly presented by Coca-Cola. 
Visit WhiteSox.com slash Sundays to purchase your tickets today. We did a lot of hearing from the big-name coaches in the White Sox minor league system and from the general manager, Rick Hahn, earlier in the show today. And I think what what's left its impression on me is the idea that the development, the progression for a lot of these young White Sox players, the, the prospects, I mean, and even some at the major league level, and that's let's not leave that out, because the White Sox do have a number of young players, whether it be Tim Anderson, Omar Narvaez. Here's something crazy for Omar Narvaez that I found out when looking up the article that I did on WLSAM.com slash White Sox. Omar Narvaez has had just about as many at-bats over the high A level, above the high A level, I mean, as Yohan Mankata has. Granted, their backgrounds are a little bit different. Their prospect rating is a little bit different. But as far as... As far as exposure goes to nasty pitching, Omar Narvaez has very little and is still hitting about 260 with an on-base of about 370. Doesn't have a whole lot of pop, but it's you, you look at prospect development, and a guy like Omar Narvaez will tell you something about it, I think. That does it for us. The music means we need to get out of here. So our thanks to Carson Fulber, Mark Grudzelanek, Steve McCaddy, Rick Hahn, Dave Zaslowski, and Adam Studzinski. This is White Sox Weekly. Stay tuned to WLS AM 890. Shift over to the White Sox Radio Network and get things started for the pregame show for the White Sox and Padres. That's coming up after the 530 News. This is WLS AM 890.